Well, thank you all for being here tonight. This is Steve and Marla Wagner. Uh, they are the people that I will be interrogating tonight, and you get to watch, so that's pretty cool. Uh, let me pray, and we'll get started. Uh, Father God, we're grateful for this ministry that Steve and Marla are doing, and I pray that um, you would bless us tonight by uh, speaking through them uh, the truth of your love, your grace, your mercy, and uh, even your discipline and correction. Um, I pray that uh, tonight would be something that would be a, a resource for all of us to be able to use in some way, shape, or form, and uh, all of it would be consecrated to your use. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, I'll just dive right in. Let's have the, like the elevator speech of your life in terms of like where were you born and raised and, and stuff so that everybody gets uh, an understanding of your geographical um, background. Mine's easy. I was born here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what, what hospital are you born in? Scott, it's not in uh, Scottsdale Memorial anymore. So Honor Health. I go in there with my mom and I'm like, hey, I re- this is uh, my stomping ground. So I graduated from Coronado and I went to ASU and I'm, st- I'm one of the few natives that is still here. Okay. I'm from world-renowned Waterloo, Iowa. Yeah. You guys all know where that is, right? Iowa. Population 50. No. <laughs> Um, I was I was born That's there. That's it. <laughs> I was born there, and then uh, got tired of the winters and came out here to ASU, and uh, in the process became her brother's best friend. Um, and through that, we ended up uh, getting married. And we've got three kids: uh, twenty-eight, twenty-five, and twenty-three. Is that right? Pretty good. Boy, well, I'm doing good. <laughs> Woo! That was a hard part. <laughs> They're all married. Uh, one, one is a pastor and a worship pastor in Portland, and uh, one is married to a worship pastor here at Shiloh in town. And our other son is a videographer here locally. Okay. Uh, so this next part is really I'm the one who's interested in the next part, but since you're here, you have to listen to it. Um, they are eight years apart in age. Jackie and I are eight years apart in, in age. They knew each other for two years before they started dating, but couldn't date because she was with some loser. Um, Amen. (laughs) Yeah, and so Jackie, uh, they weren't exactly engaged, but she was going to marry this guy, this other loser. And um, anyway, and I'm 62, Steve is 63, Jackie's 54, Marla's 55, so it was just a little bit freaky for me. Uh, it was like, okay, we got to have them come and speak at our church if, if for no other reason than that. But um, also, uh, Steve and I were baptized one year apart by the same pastor, Richard Jackson, at North Phoenix Baptist Church also. so And he got baptized on the same day that the entire Alice Cooper family got baptized. It's my so, claim to fame. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's fun for me. Anyway, so how, you met through your brother. And eventually started dating, got married. How long have you been married? 33 years. Yeah. <laughs> Man, these questions are getting tougher. And when, and, when will it, and when will it be 34? April 16th. Okay, April 16th, good. The day after tax day. Yeah. It's easy right. to remember. Yeah, okay. Well, that's good. That's Patriots Day, isn't it, in Boston, when they run the Boston Marathon? I don't know. Is it the 19th? 
Oh, really? Okay. But it was in April, so I... Okay, good. <laughs> so now you all understand why we have elders. <laughs> Correct the pastor. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so... Um, you're married. Uh, now we're going to get right into it because we only have an hour. You're married. And um, I guess the only way to sort of tee this up for you to start talking would be you developed a hankering for like $2 hamburgers. Is that, yeah. is that accurate? Okay, sure. so go ahead. Tell us about that. So um, when I got saved in 1984, I was 26 years old, lived a pretty promiscuous lifestyle, a lot of drugs, drinking. Uh, Salt was a drug dealer. And... Uh, uh, at 80, in 1984, when God saved, when I gave my life to him, he took everything away from me immediately. All uh, sexual sin, all alcohol, all drinking, just gone from one night to, to uh, the next night. Uh, so I had a, a severe transformation, and all, I didn't want to go to bars anymore. I wanted to read my Bible, so I went from bars to Bible studies. And uh, that became my passion. And that first year, read through the, the whole Bible in about nine months, and uh, just hungry for God's word and walking free of all the stuff that had been sinful in my life. And uh, then in the, uh, we got married in 88, and in about 93, uh, I was selling stuff door to door, July hot, uh, not to make excuses, but was just hating life. She was pregnant with our first one, and uh, I pulled into a parking lot, and I saw 50% off hamburgers, got out of the car, and it was a strip club, and uh, I walked in. Um, at that time, I was teaching uh, Bible studies, men's groups at our church, so this was a pretty severe decision I made, and I, I was just upset enough that day, walked in, thought, what's, what the heck, what's one time? walked out, and then it was like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? You know, who do I tell? And what's my wife going to think? You know, what's my pastor going to think? Is he going to ask me to quit teaching Bible studies? So I kind of pulled an Adam and Eve, Eve and went into hiding and uh, just thought it's one time, no big deal. Well, I ended up going back there a month later, and then it started to escalate to where it became a weekly thing pretty much. Uh, and I became an addict, and it felt like I had to shoot up. Uh, never really dealt with pornography. I kind of bypassed the whole pornography thing and went right uh, to the live places. And um, as it went longer and longer, it became harder and harder to become honest with anybody. I mean, it was hard enough to tell somebody one time, but now that you've been doing it a year, it just kept getting harder. And I said, God, you have got to take this away from me. I would cry. I would be in worship services on Sunday, just how, how can I even lift my hands and praise you anymore, knowing the things I'm doing and this hypocrisy, this lifestyle. That, and with uh, addictions, typically uh, lying, deceiving, all become a part of it. So you develop these other things to keep your addiction hidden. And uh, so I did that for several years. And uh, I said, God, you know, I don't have the courage to go to my pastor and tell him what I'm doing. I don't have the courage to tell my wife, you've got to get me caught. And so I started to pray to get caught. So one night he answered that prayer and uh, I had to come home. And that, I call that day the worst day and the best day of my life uh, because it was the worst day because I had to look her in the eyes and tell her what I've been doing. And, uh, you know, the hurt and her, her pain was terrible. 
but it was the best day because finally it was out and I was able to go to my pastors and I was able to go to her brother and the people that were my partners in business and tell them the things I had been doing and it just felt so good to get this, this hidden thing out of my life. And uh, I walked out of that, that uh, night, I, I met with a guy at 10 o'clock at night and we talked till three in the morning at Denny's on 32nd Street in Bell. And I confessed everything to him, every single thing. And I knew he was a safe place because he had dealt with the same thing I had. But he went to a check-in facility in Texas and spent about $60,000 to find sobriety, um, probably about 10 years before this, this night happened. Uh, but just telling somebody and confessing it, it just took all the power away. And then having somebody to talk to daily was not easy to stop, but I had somebody now to talk to every single day. And uh, just one day at a time, I'd wake up and just say, today I can make it, get into God's word. And through this whole thing, I've, I've always been, God, God in my salvation gave me a hunger for his word. And, uh, you know, she can testify to this. There's hardly a day I, I miss spending an hour, you know, into God's word, just reading it. And I just love it. And I love teaching it. And even through my sin, I, I would continue to read every single day. Uh, what happened, though, it was harder to pray. It was harder to connect with God and sit before him and every time bring the same thing to him, you know, confessing this, confessing this, confessing this. It just it got to the place where God, you know, you've got to do something to set me free of this. So confessing to one another is, is important because it makes it real for us. Yeah, and... What really was going on for me personally was it was pride. You know, I wanted to keep looking good to my pastor. I wanted to keep being a great husband to her. And still, you know, this thing hiding behind the scenes, I was convinced I could stop on my own. I mean, I got Jesus, you know, the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I got the creator's power. Second Peter 1, 3 says we've been given everything we need uh, pertaining to life and godliness and, and to overcome the, the things of the world. You know, so I, I knew I had what it took to get through it. But what God wanted to do is he wanted to break this pride in my life. Mm. And he used this sin to where I couldn't tell one person then, now what am I doing, you know, sitting in front of 40, 50 people, sometimes telling it in two or 300 people uh, my story. But at that time, telling one person was devastating to me because I wanted to keep this good Christian boy facade up. So, Marla, what was that day like for you? I mean, what was the, did you have an inkling? Did you know what precipitated the conversation? Uh, there had been um, months leading up to that where he would, would just not come home. He'd come home really late. And, um, and he finally had shared with me what was going on, that he was struggling, and as it continued, um, he'd say, okay, this is not going to happen again. I'm going to do this. We would pray together. And um, I look back now, and it was just this, God just gave me what I needed. And I've listened to so many stories. I look back, and, and I just see um, how God gives you what you need at the moment. And he had prepared me. So in this time, he had shared He'd say, I'm going to get this under control. I've got this. Well, 
How I just kept walking along, I really don't know. It was God's grace. But in that period of like, Lord, you know, if this, I, I finally told him, if it happens again, promise me you're going to get help. And coming to that point is what he needed for that breaking, to finally say, I can't do it myself. And how God gave me the grace to hang in there, um, it was the Lord. But in that process, when he had first shared with me, um, God gave me a promise. And I, th- and I really believe this is the crux of it all, is that he said, I'm going to use him to teach other men and I'm going to use this for good. So deep down from the very beginning, I had this promise that um, God's going to use this. And I think I just kind of want to detour, if I can share. Please. In the beginning, yeah. when we were first married, um, excuse me, I, I had been bulimic for several years. And, I, and it was kind of the addict thinking of, well, once I get married, this is going to go away, right? I'm not, not enough. So now that I finally have this husband, this is not going to be an issue. And um, once we were married, it came back with a vengeance, and it was devastating for me. Um, So we really spent the first year of our marriage with me in counseling. It was Ramuda Ranch at that time for bulimics, or it was um, this this counseling program that we came across. And they walked me through a year of retraining my brain. What, is, what does God think about you? Um, what do you really believe? Let's look at scripture. What does it really say? Do you really believe that, that he's enough in these moments? So as I walk through that, I saw, it literally changed my whole life. It changes my, me as a wife, as a mom, my whole direction. And um, it had prepared me for years down the road when he came forward and shared with me, I instantly knew this is not who he is. This is a lie that he is believing, and this is, I mean, it could have been alcohol, drug addiction, or whatever it was, but I knew that God was using it to bring him back to him. So um, anyway, that was just a really sweet way God prepared me for that moment. So I didn't deal, by the grace of God, I didn't deal with all the trauma that a lot of women go through all the, the fears, the inadequacy. I knew it wasn't about me. Just like food wasn't about my, wasn't the root of my addiction. Sex wasn't the root of his addiction. So um, you do now deal with women who are traumatized by this. Your ministry is called Beloved, right? So t- talk a little bit about that. Uh, thank I would love to. Um, we have three groups around the valley, and one is at Pure Heart, one's at Scottsdale Bible, and we have a West Valley group. And we called it Beloved because so many women walking into this ministry, walking into this group, um, feel anything but loved. And they feel like if I was prettier, if I was sexier, if I was a better wife, somehow my husband wouldn't have dealt with this. So in in our group, um, we call it beloved because the first thing we do is come back to the fact that we are first and foremost his beloved. And we have um, just an intimacy um, devotional that we do and to help women reconnect with the Lord. And then 
we have a group of ladies where you can be honest, a safe place to share and encourage each other. As we walk through curriculum, we share stories, we have group me's that um, it's just, honestly, I didn't have anybody to talk to. And that's just such a joy is that we've got this group where people can talk about it and they say, um, you know, I thought I was a crazy lady. And the rest of the group's like, yeah, I thought I was a crazy lady. That's, we should have called this group. We're, we're not crazy ladies. She's a crazy lady. Believe me. <laughs> yeah, so it's just amazing to have just that support and have somebody like, do you bring this up in Tuesday morning Bible study? It's like, this is not the thing you talk about over coffee, you know? So um, it's just been a privilege to have these ladies, and they're amazing. So um, just already in your answers, uh, one of the things I've noticed is you've already started talking about some of the lies you believe when you're mm-hmm. in the midst of these mm-hmm. situations. Yeah. There's lies for the person who's walking with somebody in the addiction. There's lies for the person in the addiction. But also you had your own lies as somebody who was involved in an addiction. Yeah. Your lie was, yeah. well, now I'm getting married. I'll be complete. I won't have to... Uh, do this bulimia thing right. anymore. Yeah. You had lies too. Talk more about the various lies. We talked about, once during coffee, we talked about the lie of uh, the guy who's addicted to porn but uh, is engaged and knows that when he gets married, then the porn addiction will go away, right? That's a lie. Yeah. So what are some of these other lies on either side of this, of this uh, coin? That, that's a great one because that just came up at Scottsdale Bible in a, a men's group that I spoke at and I was challenging men to take action on this and I, I was addressing with them that uh, right now as I'm speaking to you, you're rationalizing why you don't need to deal with this. Even though in this room of 200 guys, there's probably you know at least 100 of you that is dealing with this in some form or fashion. Uh, and then they broke into small groups, and one of the guys uh, from our group was the leader of their small group at this, at this ministry, and they went around. Every guy rationalized why they didn't need to deal with it, and that was one of the big lies the guy was saying is, hey, I'm getting married here in a month, and I'll be fine after that. I just need a release. I just need an outlet for this, and uh, another guy was saying, you know, my, my wife and, and I aren't intimate much. I travel a lot, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I, I feel okay about doing this. And it's amazing statistically that today, uh, somewhere in the 60s, college students uh, that call themselves Christians don't believe there's anything wrong with looking at porn. And, uh, you know, I asked these guys that uh, last week, I, I said, you know, how much porn is okay? You know, is, is once a month all right? You know, is it w- once a month to take heroin or cocaine okay? You know, would you counsel somebody that that's all right? Uh, there's a different perception of the way we look at porn and sexual sin in our culture, uh, especially men. They just don't see it as that wrong. You know, I'm not hurting anybody. Nobody even knows I do this. And uh, that's why it's called the secret sin is it's much harder for men to to have to deal with this because it carries a different level of shame. Uh, So one of the the big lies is, uh, you know, I can get through this anytime I want. You know, I can quit. But five years later, they're still doing it. You know, for me, every single week I was saying, this is the last time. 
You know, I'd come out of church on Sunday and say, I'm never doing this again. I'm done. I'd cry. I'd be sincere, you know, and it, I'd feel free. And three days later, four days later, I'd be back doing the same thing all over again. And I could not stop. And, and that's what most guys think is that they do this just as a, a release. Uh, but they don't realize that they're, they're addicted. Now, I'll just add one more thing in here is that this, this is not, sex is not the issue. You know, immorality is not the issue. It is a sin. But the issue is most men, somewhere between 10 and 12 years old, start looking at porn. That's when the average age of introduction to porn is. It's, it's actually down to eight years old now with the advent of the Internet. Uh, but they start this, this looking innocently uh, just little boys, and then at some point they attach it to something. And you don't even realize what you're doing, but you attach it to that homework assignment you don't want to do. So you go look at your porn and have your release, and all of a sudden this thing, every time you start feeling stressed or you feel a project or something you want to avoid, or maybe you're really excited about something, a party's coming up, and you've attached it to that, when guys get in there 25, 30, 35, 40, they, they keep that attachment thing going. And when they come under heavy stress, boom, that's what they run to. Just like a, somebody would run to alcohol or drugs, they run to the, uh, the sexual side of things to get that, that release into their fantasy life. So just like any other chemical addiction, they're developing neural pathways that's demanding this fix. Yeah, it is a chemical addiction. Right. Uh, the minute a guy... Uh, sees a woman walk in front of him that's attractive to him. If, he, if he's an addict, immediately his pulse increases, his heart rate goes up, dopamine's released into his body, and he starts to feel a little buzz, and that little buzz makes him want to have more. And so just seeing that person walk by can be the thing that triggers him. Uh, we have something in our ministry called a one-second rule is you cannot imprint somebody if you get your eyes off of them in one second or less. It's a scientific fact. So if you see somebody and they're attractive and you get your eyes off them, you don't have time to take that and, and uh, start imprinting on your brain what you might do with that thought or that fantasy a little bit later. That's interesting. In the communication discipline, research shows that the amount of time of a mutual gaze, in other words, a gaze where you're able to hold somebody long enough that you make a connection is 1.14 seconds. And, and so if you've ever been in a food court or something and you catch somebody's eyes, if you, if you quickly look away, that tells the other person there's something wrong there. Or if you keep it for longer than 1.14 seconds, it tells the person there's something wrong there. Or right, depending on who it is, of course. But, but so all of that correlates. It all lines up with the imprint is 1.14 seconds. So, um, and that's really helpful. That's really, that's something I'd never considered or thought of as the idea of the imprint and gazing for the imprint. What about the lies on your side of the, this, this ledger? Well, that answers, that's what we use to dispel some of the lies that women feel like, this is, my, this is about me. And if I was different, if I... If Prettier, I, yeah, skinnier, bigger, bigger in certain Yes, areas. if I look like the models and the, and the TV and the internet and um, everything we compare ourselves to, 
But the truth is that this ha- this has started in men years and years and years before they ever even met you. And this is uh, a coping mechanism that they have learned and it does not have anything to do with you and you cannot fix it. That this is a spiritual issue between them and God and learning to bow their knee toward to the Lord. Um, so number one is it's not about me. And I think the second lie um, is really, um, it's kind of similar in both of them. But if I just get through this, our life will be back to normal and we'll be all good. <laughs> so the guys can feel like sometimes um, if I just get this little thing fixed, my marriage will be all good and we can go on. And the truth is that for us women, re- Taking our, just having that truth, I think, that as we, as we deal with this crisis, there's this feeling that God is not good. And if he could just fix this, why isn't he just fixing it? comes back to the deeper issue of what us women deal with, of releasing our husbands to the Lord when we have no control. And most of us do not like that. <laughs> so that lie that... If I can just get through this, things will be back to normal. That's not really what you really want. You really want this marriage where you're intimate, you got communication, you can share your heart, there's no secrets. That's what we really want. And God is about answering that prayer. Um, It just happens to be through this addiction that he is good. And he's answering our prayer, bringing us to the place of what we really want. is putting him back on the throne to give us the marriage that we really want. So uh, this idea of um, the neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. the, neuro, the neural pathways, uh, we talked about this when we met before, uh, how powerful the Holy Spirit was when he worked through Paul in Philippians 4 when he was writing, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is excellent, whatever is just, whatever is worthy of praise, those eight things. Uh, Paul had no idea about neurology or psychiatry or anything at the time, yet the Holy Spirit was directing him in helping us understand um, that we, we have to create new, new neural... It's not just enough to shut off the old neural pathways because we have to have neural pathways, so we have to cre- actually create new ones. Yeah. And what's interesting in that the science today, I mean, backs up Philippians 4, 8, but it also Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to the world, right. but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And what we know through science today is that the, the brain is always adapting. It's very pliable. And uh, you, so you can retrain your brain and you become whatever you're thinking about. So under brain scans today, uh, people that do a CT scan of the brain, they can see a guy that, that's a sex addict because a certain portion of the brain lights up, it's, it becomes thicker. They can tell somebody who's a violinist because they use certain motor skills in their fingers and that part of the brain lights up. So there's all these different things that if you do them repetitively over time, your brain starts to form to that. And there's a picture, they, they have some imaging now, if you get online and you can look at what a normal brain looks like, it's kind of smooth like a pool ball. And then somebody who's on meth or cocaine, instead of being smooth, it's got pockets all around it, and it's not smooth. It's got holes almost throughout the whole brain. When you look at a, a, a porn addict, the brain looks almost identical to a cocaine and a heroin addict. 
because it's, it's doing the same exact thing that those chemical addictions are doing. So your prefrontal cortex, which is where you make most of your decisions, if you're a porn addict, blood flow starts to be cut off through, through uh, the front portion of your brain in the prefrontal cortex. And you literally can't make good, as good of rational decisions uh, as your prefrontal cortex has low blood flow. That, that's why one of the things they're finding in addiction today is, is working out and exercising is such a big part of recovery because it releases some dopamine. So your body that's used to getting that from your addiction, you feel that release through exercise. But it starts to increase the blood flow back to the prefrontal cortex and heal that area of the brain. And the brain will completely go back to smooth again uh, when, when a guy gets out of the addiction. Typically, somewhere between one to three years, his mind can completely be So there's a complete restored. regeneration. Yep. That's amazing. They've done Scientifically. They have wow. done studies where people have meditated on the truth and meditated on scripture and positive things and re-scanned their brains and shown the truth of God's word is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's, it is pretty cool. Yeah, there, there's one study where they had for 90 days, they had people every day wake up and give thanks to God for five things. And they did an imaging of their brain before and after and their brain uh, started to heal in 90 days just from going to God daily and saying, I'm thankful for what you've done, that I've got arms, legs, you know, that I've got a house, I've got a car, got, you know, and you just start going, and I thank you for my salvation, you know, and starting to be appreciative actually changes the formation of your brain. So 20 years ago, I was diagnosed as somebody who, uh, in 20 minutes, sitting with a professional counselor, I was diagnosed uh, as a negative self-talker. <laughs> somebody who can take something, little thing that I did wrong, that I'm not happy about, not proud of, but it's really not that big of a deal. And I'll just stick it in my brain and I'll noodle on it, ruminate on it. And eight hours later, I'm essentially Charles Manson in my own mind. Okay, that's, that's negative self-talking. Any other negative self-talkers here? Yeah, okay, so. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> um, interesting that people still get the Charles Manson reference. That's amazing, okay. You, you, know, you know what he, he said? He said, I want you to t get some three-by-five index cards. I want you to write out certain passages or verses of Scripture. Um, and he gave me passages and verses and stuff. Write them out. Carry them with you every single day. And when you're standing in line at the bank, back when people stood in line in banks, um, when you're doing stuff like that, pull those out and read those instead of doing the negative self-talking. It's so, so funny. Again... In my recovery, I took three by five cards. I've got a stack of them this thick <laughs> with scriptures and truth out of the, out of the word dealing yeah. with the issues I was, and I read that you and I have so much in common, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it is frightening. Just in I'm different areas. Yeah. Do you like Seinfeld? I love it. <laughs> okay. Is he still on? Oh yeah, Netflix just picked him back up, so I'm very busy now. Um, <laughs> Uh, here's something else. This just happened today, so the Tylers will um, affirm this. We had our monthly all Redemption Pastors meeting out at Redemption Peoria today, and we heard a uh, the pastor. One of the pastors from Alhambra gave a little talk, and it was just absolutely magnificent. It was spot on, and what he said. And I, again, I hear you saying these things, especially you, 
in your beloved um, ministry talking about who does God really understand you to be, what he said was um, uh, confession and repentance is not complete with just the idea of saying, I'm a sinner, I have messed something up, and, and you've turned away from it. It's not complete until you turn towards something and hear what God is telling you about who you are in Christ. You are righteous. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are holy. You are chosen. You are beautiful. And, and um, especially in Reformed circles, which we are, we're really good at going, ooh, I'm just such a sinner, and not very good at turning and saying, and God sees me as a righteous, beloved son or daughter. So talk a little bit more about that and how that works with some of the people you're working with. Uh, because, and, and here's why. I, I, here's another reason why I want to bring this up. I want to make sure I get this in there too. You say that the pornography addiction is not about the wife, and yet it's intensely personal. It's still intensely personal. So how do you reconcile those things in the midst of also being reminded of, of who God says we are? I think one of the things that is really important for the wives is first reconciling this. Um, a lot of them come angry at God. Why did you let this happen? And if you're good, you know, how can this be good? Um, so in reconciling, the f- it comes back actually, to be honest, it brings us back to the root of the gospel, that he died so that he could walk through these trials with us. And as the women walk through this process, and it really is a process, a journey of coming to the place of saying, God, I'm going to let you walk through this with me. And as they kind of begin in that journey, there's this, um, in the process, we do um, a devotional in the morning of having them be still to sit and just be with the Lord, not checking off the box because it's can all be, especially performers, we can all become about just get it done rather than just sitting and being loved. And as that begins to get restored, that I'm loved no matter what I do, no matter what my husband says, and no matter what his addiction says about me, if his addiction says I'm not good enough or he's going to this addiction instead of me or hiding and lying that the truth is that's not who he really is that's not his identity and I don't have to I can act out of my identity of being loved I can trust my creator because he says who I am not my husband so there's this shift um, in who God is and it's not your husband so in that, in becoming more, um, more, walking more in our identity, I think that is one of the, the number one goals because honestly, I think that's what God's really after in all of us. And he uses all different ways to get to us to say, will you trust me? Will you remember that you're here to be a light for me and that I want, I want to work through you in the middle of this pain, when you're not, and when you feel like you're not enough, and I want to walk through this so I can be enough, and I get all the glory. And as this process happens, it's so beautiful to watch women go, okay, 
here you go, take my story. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if my husband's going to repent. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes it does end in divorce. But the majority of the time, it doesn't. That the power of praying and intervening and, and, and truth begins to do a work in both of them and, and restoring them both to Christ's place where he wants to be. And I think I missed another question. I went off on my... <laughs> no, that was wonderful. Uh, that's, that's good. That's helpful. Um, Steve, talk about like recovery tools or strategies, those kinds of things. When, when the guy finally says, all right, I'm not going to be able to do this myself, that's a, that's a big problem right mm-hmm. there. Is there has mm-hmm. to be community and relationship, which is the biggest challenge with this sin. We've talked about that. Uh, you, you know, I, I've spoken to rooms of 500 men, again, knowing the percentages, 300 of them in there are dealing with this. I want to help you. I want to talk to you about this, and maybe one will come up, yeah. you know. So besides getting the guy to finally just get the pride out of the way and say, I'm willing to be able to find somebody to talk to about this, then what are the tools? What are the strategies? What are the methodologies that you use? So the, the biggest issue is we don't want to face this thing and have to tell anybody. It's not just the pride, it's the shame and the guilt that's behind, that's the driving force of the pride. Uh, this carries, even though sin is sin, this scripture says this is the only sin that's against the body. There is a difference uh, because it's very personal relationally with your wife uh, that when this sin is exposed, it does more damage. Uh, and almost every woman that comes to our group will say, this, I can forgive the sin, but the years of being lied and deceived into thinking you're not dealing with this. I've been married to you 20 years, and you've been doing this all along, and I never had any idea you were dealing with it. And that's what's so devastating about this sin is it's secret. Right now, and 50% of the guys at least... That would be the smallest amount in this room that are dealing with this. And even after this talk, you're not going to go out and do anything about it. Uh, but it's the it's, it's shame that you're feeling. And I love what you said earlier, Pastor, was God knows you intimately. He knows, he says, before a word is on your tongue, when a, if a hair falls from your head, before the foundations of the world, every day was written in a book before one came to pass, No man can come to the Father unless he's drawn by the Son. You were chosen. You didn't just choose God yourself. God wanted you to be his child. And he he loved you so much, and he knew everything you were going to do. He knew every sin, every bad thing, and he still wanted you. And he he doesn't want your shame to hold you down, but he wants your shame to convict you and say, I need to get some help. i got to quit this hiding and pretending like I did, like I'm this great little Christian guy that, that knows the Bible and can teach some classes. You know, I had to get real. And for me, and, and for most men, this sexual sin helps them to really get a real relationship with God. Because I knew God, but I walked most of my life in the flesh. Uh, I didn't know, understand the spirit. I didn't understand what David talks about in Psalm 51 about brokenness. And how in in my weakness, God can be strong. All those scriptures came so alive to me through my addiction uh, in that weakness that you learn how to live in a different way, in a different power. 
And most of the people that come to our ministry, that when they get this out of their life and they and their wives start to heal and recover, many of them say their marriage is better than it's ever been before. Because there's always this little thing that the wife's never quite sure about. You know, there's a few things she didn't share or didn't come to her mind when she was sharing. Uh, But she said, you know, for years she knew something was wrong before we ever started talking about it. And she just had a gut. She thought it was pressure at work. She said, I knew there was something wrong. I just didn't know what it was. I knew what it was, you know, but I was, just had so much shame I couldn't share it. So I think the, the process uh, is getting in a group, first being willing to say, I need help. That's the hardest thing in the world. We got guys that talk about coming to our groups and sitting in the parking lot for two weeks watching who's going through that door if they, they're going to know anybody when they walk in. That's, that's how much shame is tied to this. It's so much deeper than drugs and alcohol. But that choice to walk in and get help is, is key. Uh, I don't know anybody, and I'm sure there's somebody out there, but we've dealt with 2,500 men in our ministry. I don't know one of them that said, hey, I read a book on... Uh, overcoming sexual addiction and I got free from the book because it's not a knowledge thing it's it's a spiritual thing down deep in your soul that you got to address it's a lot bigger deal than just looking at porn there's a book called every man's battle and it's a great book it's written by Stephen Arterburn uh, but it's kind of hurt the whole culture because now it's every man's battle So when you ask a guy, you know, do you deal with this? And I'll ask guys point blank, you know, how do you do in this area? I'll ask pastors that question. And they start to turn a little white at times. (laughs) But, you know, we'll ask them. And the answer is so typical. They'll say, doesn't everybody deal with that? You know, and it's just this minimizing that they're looking at porn, you know. Uh, But we know that somewhere around 68% of men look at least once a month. Uh, so that, that's a pretty big statistic. If you think about that, when you're sitting in church, every two men, the third one's not. Every two men are, the third one's not. I mean, Josh McDowell said this is the greatest thing to come against the church in 2,000 years. If we don't address this problem, the church is going to start to die. In our country, it is dying. Uh, we're losing about 1% a year of Christians Uh, It's down from 77% 10 years ago to 60% today. And those are the people that call themselves Christians, uh, not really actually looking at how they they walk in this life. And the other side of it, the the, the agnostics and the uh, atheists and people that have no particular Christian affiliation, that that number is growing. It's at about 27%. So our nation is becoming a nation that we're coming closer and closer together and a lot of it's not just sexual sin, but it's, it's the way we address sin in the church. And we just got to get real with each other. We, we've got to get these masks off and start to be able to deal with one another on the hard issues. You know, I punched a hole in the wall. You should be able to go to your... I didn't punch a hole in the wall. <laughs> but you should be able to go to your small group of men and say, I threw a lamp across the house. I kicked the cat. I, I punched a hole in the wall. Uh, and be real to where we're not judging each other over these sins. And that's why this sexual thing is such a big deal, is guys will go to a, a small men's group and share, and, and the reaction they get, they're like the only guy in the room that's dealing with this. 
and they'll say, I can't go back and talk to that men's group again about it. So that's why it's important to get involved in, in a recovery group that can identify every guy in there has been through what you're going through. And you can sit with men that, you know, have years. We've got some guys that have 13, 14 years of freedom that still come to our group. Wow. Okay, let me check time. Okay, we got 15 minutes, good. Uh, how do people get connected with your groups? On the table, uh, our ministry name is Revive 40. And uh, the, the 40 stands for 40 million Christian men are, have either, and there's a difference between porn addiction and sexual addiction, we won't get into it, but there's 40 million men in America that are either porn or sexually addicted. Uh, the Revive comes out of Ezekiel 37, I just spaced, maybe 38, Valley of Dry Bones, where God breathes life into those bones. And uh, that's where our Revive comes from. In some translations, it used that he revived those bones and brought them back to life. And, and God had in, impressed on me years ago that that's basically what we're doing with men going forward is you got these guys that are kind of off the playing field. They have a hard time getting involved in their church because they know the things they're doing behind the scenes and they go in hiding and, uh, you know, they stop being involved. So we want to see these men revived. We want to see them heal and recover. We want to see their marriages restored. And we want to see them get back in their church and start serving and start making a difference. 40 million Christian men are pretty much off the playing field in America. If we can get those guys back involved in their churches instead of spending money on things outside that they shouldn't be spending it on, you know, giving their, their time, talents, and treasures back into the kingdom of heaven to make a difference here, it'd be amazing what we could accomplish as a church. That's great. So let me add, www.revive40.com. So if you can go on that website, there's... Um, uh, info oh, info <laughs> at revive40.com if you have any questions. Um, there are nine groups around the valley that meet for Revive 40 from ACU campus. G, uh, we're hoping GCU. I mean, Gilbert. It's just really exciting what God's doing. And then the women's groups are also on there. Um, that The beloved part is a work in progress. So um, there are three groups in there, and any questions, if you can't find anything, is info, email info at revive40.com. So, so go ahead. The ACU group is amazing. Uh, there's about 20 young men there, 18 to 25 years old. It's for that age group specifically. Uh, almost everyone in there is not married. And to see these young men stop uh, sleeping with their girlfriends and wanting to be uh, have pure relationships till they're married and to get this stuff out of their life. We, we've got some guys now that are going on nine months of not acting out in any form sexually uh, while they're walking around on a college campus uh, with, you know, hormones raging at the height of life, <laughs> wanting a girlfriend. They're, on, uh, they're But excited. to see guys get it under control at that age is really exciting. And uh, one of the guys from GCU is is taking it over there and Probably in January, we'll have a GCU and hopefully eventually an ASU group. So um, ACU would be Arizona Christian University, and they're on Thunderbird? Right. Yeah, yep. so on the west side. Right? And that's on the website. You can find them. You have a lot of west side going. There's something particular about the we, west side. We started, a, 
<laughs> we started on the west side, oh, yeah. and it's like it got contagious over there. We do have a group in uh, Chandler at uh, Evident Life Church. Okay. That's, and so we're hoping Bible. it starts catching on. Yeah. Uh, we, we expanded so rapidly that we're, we're kind of ministry, we're, our ministry is led by leaders. A lot of our best leaders are pastors that have lost their churches because of their addictions. Oh, wow. uh, so we have a high percentage of those uh, that lead groups. It's hard to do our model and expand really quickly. So we're shifting the model a little bit to a curriculum-led model. We're in the process of doing that right now so that we don't have to have a guy that's got a year's sobriety, knows the scriptures inside out and backwards, has the time and the availability. Uh, it's a hard guy to find. So we've kind of slowed down our growth for the next five to six months uh, and we're looking at, at kicking it off with a little bit different look uh, here at next year. Uh, Marla, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Um, what do you say to the wife, the girlfriend, the fiancé who, um, who is really devastated by this and really hurt by this, but she can't seem to get her husband, boyfriend, fiancé to recognize this is a problem and do something about it? That, do, there you would have, be, do you have any like that in your beloved groups? Uh, we do. Yeah, yeah. okay. So. Most of them are married, and I would my, probably my advice would be different whether they were married okay. or um, okay. if they were boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, but I think, I think it is very important to have, um, to be working together with um, a pastor or a counselor because there can be um, sometimes the advice of um, just wait. Um, sometimes the wife can have a tendency to just, uh, especially if she's codependent, we often bring our own baggage into the marriage. And our way of coping kind of comes out when this surfaces. So if I'm a stuffer, you know, I might hide. So I think one of the most important things is bringing it in the light together with a pastor or um, okay. a counselor that deals with sex addiction because there's some um, really healthy things to be working through that she needs to be a part of it. And um, that would be some healthy boundaries. So first off, um, working together with your husband, um, Get rid, of, get rid of stuff on the phone, uh, shut down Safari, uh, get covenant eyes on the computers. Those are things he needs to be doing. And there's a healthy accountability where his behavior is going to show where his heart is. So the, our motto is, um, especially after women have been lied to a, a long time, it's hard to build trust again. And so our motto is don't listen to their words, but watch their actions. And as they walk through, kind of holding the line like, okay, we're doing this together, but these are some things that are going to start building trust that you're going to show that you're serious about getting this under control. Because words don't, you know, good intentions are just that, good intentions. We're getting real here. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that I've, heard from some guys and I've been reading about too is um, certainly an internet browser can go anywhere it wants but what a lot of guys are doing is accessing it through social media apps because there's there's this way of kind of going well I'm going to go and do this on Instagram or Facebook or whatever 
but they know that all they have to do is hit the right keywords or they don't even look like problematic. Uh, and it's a couple links away and the next thing you know they're in, but they've done it in a way that's um, covert. So it helps them feel a little bit better about that. So when you talk about eliminating certain things, um, even social media is something that is, is challenging. I don't know if I've ever had a guy get free without getting rid of social media in this area for yeah. a time yeah. while he's in the beginning stages of recovery because it's so triggering what uh, they deal with. But yeah. Yeah, get, getting in the back door of apps, Xbox, I mean, there's so yeah. many things that I never knew. Uh, I wish I had known when my sons were, were growing up because yeah. I didn't realize they had access through Xbox. Yeah. I, had, I had no idea, you know. Well, and I would add to that that that's one of the things that you can't shut every single thing down. You can't shut a guy's brain down. You can't know if he's looked at anybody. You don't know what's going on as a wife inside of him. So part of releasing control is you can set up you can set up boundaries. You can set up um, communication each week. How are you doing? Are you meeting with your accountability? You can set all that up. But the truth is that um, our, one of the scriptures that we hold on to is everything that's hidden will be revealed. And that's the truth that we can stand on that. If this is a work that God is doing in them, it's not about following the letter of the law. This is about a heart change. And releasing that, it's, it's such a hard place. Honestly, yeah, without the is. Lord, I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. impossible. 25% of women today are porn addicts. Right. So that's the fastest growing segment right now of this addiction. Uh, so more and more girls are dealing with this. Uh, you know, so just being aware of uh, what's going on in our culture you can't become the police, you know, for, for your spouse and watch their every move. And we've got trackers on phones now where we can see where they're at every... I mean, women just get themselves worked up, but it's not just a woman thing anymore. It's, it's also a man thing uh, that's starting to, to have that side where the wife is the one being unfaithful, the wife's the one addicted to porn. Uh, so it, it's interesting how it's changing in our culture. Yeah. Um. Last question for each of you. I told you I was going to ask you this. What didn't I ask you that you wish I had asked you? That's or did I, I do a good job tonight? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I buy more time. Do you want to go? <laughs> um, I think you did ask it because the, the most important thing is is come, going, coming for help and asking for help for a wife. And we have so many women that say, this is the group I never wanted to be a part of, but I'm so glad it's there. Um, and then I would just add to that of reaching out for help, but asking God, talking to God about what do I do? Here I am. That intimacy with him is so sweet to watch how he lays out the next step or no matter what we're dealing with. And I think that's one of the best prayers is, Lord, help. I, I don't know what to do. And it's so sweet the how he has used beloved um, in that ministry. Or he'll bring just the perfect person. So. Oh, I don't know. There's quite a few I could say. <laughs> um, I, I would challenge 
you guys in relationships in here to ask your spouse uh, after this how they deal with this and let them know they can give you an honest answer and that you're not going to beat them up uh, if they, they tell you what they're doing. Uh, a lot of the guys in our group, the wives want the husbands to be honest with them, but they go home and they say, hey, I had a, had a struggle today. I looked at some stuff at work and the wife blows up on him and then he comes yeah. to our group and says, I'm never going to tell her anything ever That's again. Right. So it's a, it's a tough thing because how devastating and hurtful it is to the wife. Uh, but yet the wife has got to be able to help her husband walk through this thing, set up some healthy boundaries and, uh, you know, some consequences to acting out. But I'm going to tell you this right now. Every man and woman in this room, in this culture today, should have five people in their life, at least one, that you can tell everything to and have no secrets. Because secrets is where all this sin stuff starts. And if you can find some people that you can be totally 100% honest with, with your deepest, darkest struggles... Uh, and you don't want to cast your pearls before swine because there are people that will use things against you. You want to be wise in choosing these people. But I'm telling you, we live in a, a culture, the church is an addicted uh, church today. They're all dealing, if they're not dealing with sex, <laughs> they're dealing with gambling, if not gambling, drugs, alcohol, if not drugs, alcohol, food issues. You know, we can just go down the line. Xbox today is a big one. More and more women are saying they're coming home and their 25-year-old husbands are, uh, you know, on Xbox for two, three hours, and that's their escape. And it's literally all the same thing. It's the brain being trained uh, to, to feed as coping mechanisms the stresses in our life. Uh, but getting those three to five people in your life for the rest of your life Every week, you ought to check in with somebody saying how you're doing in these areas and find people you can be real with. Get these masks off and start being a real church instead of an addicted church. Yes, that's good. Well, let me pray for you guys. And will you be okay sticking around for seven or eight hours after? to talk? Six. Six, six hours. Okay, if I lay hands on you, is that all right? Yeah. Okay. Father God, we're grateful for uh, Steve and Marla and uh, their transparency and their vulnerability here tonight. Um, So much ministry is done through story and testimony, and that's been powerful tonight. Uh, But now it's not just um, hearing and contemplating, but actually uh, moving forward and doing now. So I pray that we'd have the courage to be able to do that. I pray the leadership of this church would have the courage to be the type of church that can be real and that can walk with people. And I pray that we would have the type of people coming to this church uh, who can also take off their masks and be real with us. I praise, uh, I praise you for uh, the Wagner's ministry. I pray that you would bless it. I pray that you would empower them. I pray that you would uh, help them find the leaders that they need to find. And I pray that they would just uh, continue to grow in their influence in this valley. Uh, it's by your spirit that we pray, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Appreciate it. Glory to God.